from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Hey, Money Movers, welcome to another episode of the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood. Our next guest is a social entrepreneur and the founder of Gooder, a startup based here in Atlanta, Georgia, that is leveraging technology to combat hunger and food waste. Gooder collects surplus food from organizations like Turner Broadcasting Systems, Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, and many others throughout Atlanta and other places across the US, and redirects that food to nonprofits who distribute the food to people experiencing food hunger. She has collected and donated more than 2 million food items worldwide and fed more than 100,000 people through the Sunday Soul Homeless Feeding Initiative as well. Jasmine Crow is an incredible entrepreneur and I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. You are also one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter, y'all. Jasmine, welcome to the Money Moves podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you and I'm so excited for all the wisdom and just to share your story with so many because, you know, on the Money Moves podcast, what we really like to do is enlighten our audience with people's story of how they did it, the resilience that it took, and the money moves that they're making to build and create wealth generationally. And I think this is exactly what you have accomplished and continue to do every day. I think so too. So we're gonna get to Gooder, but I know that this is not your first foray into entrepreneurship. Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you sort of broke into entrepreneurship? Yeah, I like to think that I have been an entrepreneur since I was 13. I used to kind of have my own franchise, if you will, of a company called Tumble Tots. I was a gymnast. And so then I started teaching gymnastics to basically preschoolers inside of daycares. And so my mom would drop me off and it was basically like every parent would pay $5 for their kids to take my class. And I would go to different daycares and teach the class. So that was when I was like 13. I did that all throughout high school. And um, like I said, I really feel like that was like my first kind of foray into entrepreneurship. What led me to Gooder is I actually had a consultancy called Black Celebrity Giving. So it was one part media, one part kind of consulting and planning. And I used to work with, as you can guess, Black celebrities to really define their star power and define what would be their kind of giving blueprint. And I worked with, you know, countless celebrities, Candy Burris, um, singer, songwriter, television star to hip hop stars like Future and Young Jeezy. And I would help them really with their nonprofit outreach and hosting their events and whatever that looked like. And I would often say to my clients, you know, the same people that are hungry during Thanksgiving are hungry throughout the year. And it kind of not that it fell on deaf ears. Their big goal was obviously maintaining whatever it was they were doing, whether they were a basketball player, football player, singer, actress. And so what I decided to do was start feeding people on my own. And I started that right here in Atlanta, started feeding downtown at Peachtree and Pine Tree. And just cooking out of my apartment and and going out and feeding people. And it became just an an amazing passion of mine. I always get asked the question, you know, what made you start doing this? And I really don't have an answer. But I will say that those moments, I feel like changed me. And it really just began to order my steps into what would Mm -hmm. um, eventually be good. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that. No, and I love that. You know, I think it's incredible because, you know, not just in Atlanta, but all across the country, there's this epidemic of food insecurity. And, you know, oftentimes people are like, well, is this philanthropy? Is this charity? But you've also created a for-profit business from something you're so passionate about, but at the same time gives back to so many. So I think this is, you know, just such a beautiful thing. And I'd love to dive into how you founded Gooder because it really is a startup. You know, it started as a startup cooking out of your house. Um, So take us back to those early days. Well, you know, a video of one of my pop-up restaurants that I used to host for people that were experiencing homelessness and hunger actually went viral on Facebook. And one morning, you know, I was up really, really late, like wee hours of the morning this was, and I started reading through the comments. And amongst the praise, people were saying, this is so amazing, who donated the food? And the truth was nobody. I was couponing, price matching, taking 5 and $10 donations, and really making all this food myself. 
And I started thinking like, I should really just start getting the food donated. This is like a no brainer. And a simple Google search, you know, what happens to excess food at the end of the night really led me to stumble into what would be food waste. And I go down this rabbit hole and I'm seeing how much food is going to waste while so many people were going hungry. And I just thought that that was a problem. I think, you know, easily I could have created Gooder as a nonprofit. That was my business. I helped so many celebrities create their nonprofits. But what I knew about nonprofits is that you were always kind of focused on like fundraising and getting donations yep. in and not so much focus on the problem. And the other thing that really stood out to me is that businesses were already paying waste management companies to throw this food away. And there was a lot of value in that food, not only in it going to somebody in need, which was priceless, but there was tax incentives. There was a lot of value in the data, knowing what are the items that you're consistently wasting. And that's what made me decide to start Gooder as a for-profit business that was going to essentially serve as a food waste management company, 27% of everything that goes into landfill is actually food. And the waste industry is a trillion dollar industry globally. Um, it's a multi-billion dollar industry just in the United States alone. And that's what made me say, hey, you know, I am going to be here and I'm going to handle food waste. And that's how it got started. I love that because, you know, I speak to so many entrepreneurs and it's like there's this light bulb moment. And, you know, oftentimes it happens in the wee hours of the morning where you go in and you just start Googling down this rabbit hole. And I think, you know, what the successful ones really say is like you learned everything about that industry and how you could make a profit in it. And there was just all this pathway that took you to, well, okay, people are paying to throw away food. Like that's so incredible. So fast forward now, you've been like, I think there's something here. How did you go about, like, what was the next steps in terms of, like, building the business? Was it finding the wasted food, the, you know, what was it? Was it the supply or demand? It was a lot. I think the demand was not the issue. You know, there are still nearly 50 million people this year in the United States alone that are going to experience some level of food insecurity, which means they don't know when and where their next meal is coming from. So I knew that the demand was there. I knew that people were going to need the food. What I really needed to focus on was the supply. Where was I going to get it from? And so that took about a good almost year and a half, really, of, I guess you could say, customer discovery. Yep. Um, obviously, at the same time, I didn't have the technology built. It was an idea. It was things that I was working towards. But I was spending a lot of time discovering the customer. So asking businesses, what do you do with your surplus food? And I would find out that they would throw it away. And I would ask them, why is that? And they, I would learn about, hey, we were fearful of liability or we mm. usually don't have food that's ready for pickup until 11 o'clock and there's nobody to donate it to. And there were just all these things that became really what was my service. And so now I was like, okay, I've got to solve for the liability. I've got to have insurance. I've got to solve for the logistics. We've got to have cars that are available at any time to pick up this food. We need to know we have to have a massive nonprofit network where we could get this food donated to. So those are the problems that I think I started solving for. Um, it definitely wasn't an overnight thing at all. You know, I think the video of of my pop up restaurant actually went viral in 2016 in February. I didn't launch Gooder until 2017. So I really spent that entire year just kind of thinking about it and trying to understand it. And then even once I launched the company, I still spent the next year still trying to get customers. Still 
still trying to raise money um, to build the technology. And so it's, you know, hard to fundraise. But what I turned to at the time was pitch competitions. And so I started entering pitch competitions and using that prize money to build my MVP and kind of get the product to market until we landed our first kind of landmark customer, which, as you mentioned, was the Atlanta airport. And so once the airport came, I think it really helped to kind of open more doors. And so I'm always so grateful uh, to them for for taking taking a chance on us. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I just love hearing stories like this because, you know, people think that oftentimes, you know, they're getting nose fundraising, they're getting nose this, but I mean, the nose in entrepreneurship starts so early. Well, we can't do this because we're scared of liability. We're scared of this. And, you know, your mind, how you were like, okay, I need to solve for all those problems. That's my job as the entrepreneur. Like that, I think is something that is so special to the entrepreneur mindset. Cause you're like, okay, people are telling me no every step of the way. It's my job to solve for it. Exactly. Exactly. That's what you have to do. You have to solve for their problems. And I think any entrepreneur knows that what problem are you solving is the question you've got to answer for fundraisers, for customers. What problem are you solving for them? And that's what I really focused on. Not only the problems that I was solving, but I also wanted to really back into why my solution was the best and why I was the best, why our company was the best. And so those are the things that I think in those times when I was you know, hearing no, it really only motivated me to kind of go back and just prove to people that, that this was going to work. Yeah, and I remember, so let's get to, we'll talk about fundraising a little bit, because I remember those early days. I remember a lot of like no's and no's and no's, but I want to come back to fundraising and let's get back to just continuing to build the business. So now you've got a one big client. Can you talk about how it was landing that big client? Because I think that's something that so many people wrestle and they're like, oh, am I ever going to get it? Am I ever going to get it? Especially as a black woman, you know, there's always this, you know, idea that it's harder for us to raise money, get clients, but your success, you know, was hard fought for. Tell us a little bit about getting that big first contract. Must have felt good. I think the one thing that I had to do is I had to do a lot of research. So one of the things, first and foremost, I researched everything I could about the airport. They put out a sustainability report. I looked and I read that sustainability report, report you know, from front to back. And it, it was very, very massive. And so I took all the data that they had already put out about their waste. And I came back to them and said, you guys are wasting 10 million pounds of perfectly good food. And your airport is in a food desert where so many people are going hungry. So I really kind of talked to them about this issue and this problem and, and also that airports were huge, you know, carbon jet fuel Mm -hmm. emitters so that they were really part of, of the problem of climate change. And so how, by reducing their food waste, they could be part of the solution. So it was a lot of research and it was really a, it could have went either way. You know, they could have said, we're not wasting any food. Where'd you get this information from, you know, get out of here. But instead it was like, well, where did you get that information from? This is something certainly that we don't want to do. We didn't know that this many kids were hungry in our community. How can we help be a solve to that? And that's how that happened. And so it wasn't an overnight thing. You know, I think I started talking to them in maybe like June of 2017. I think our first initial pickup and launch uh, was probably in November of 2017. And then our full out scale launch was probably like in July of 2018 because they're a government entity. And so it was always like right in the middle of their fiscal year getting started. So it took time and it also took patience. I think that's the other thing to know that they are going to come and just not rushing the process. So at this time, now you've got your first check. 
Had you been fundraising and doing pitch competitions? Like what came first for you? Definitely the prize money from pitch competitions came first for me. And I just remember, you know, in those moments, just really struggling. You know, I always tell people I started good or with nothing. I had just came out of a, a almost a five-year relationship that, that ended really badly. And I just walked away from that relationship with nothing um, but my vehicle and like my clothes and furniture. And then I think I lost the vehicle. It broke down like a couple of weeks later. And so it was a tough, a tough time for me in 2016 and 2017. And I remember winning that first pitch competition and literally leaving and running out of gas, like on the highway, just like oh. feeling like I had to just get there to get on time. Didn't have time to stop and get gas. And, you know, I called 511. Literally, it was on a Friday afternoon. I'll just never forget on an Atlanta highway when I ran out of gas on the side of 75. And so I just stood there, you know, for like two hours, you know, cry. just waiting for, for gas to come, but just believing in that moment that even though, you know, here I am in Atlanta traffic on a Friday afternoon, running out of gas, I still had just won, you know, the first pitch competition that was going to be the seed money to getting my company going. And I just believed at that moment, things were going to start to turn around for me. And they definitely did. Oh my gosh. You're literally like making my makeup tear up. Like that's such a beautiful story. If that's not a testimony yeah. today, I don't know what is y'all. That is so beautiful. And the thing I love about it the most is you're helping so many families feed and sustain themselves. Like that's just the beauty and the silver lining in what you're doing as well. Yeah, okay. I love it. it's, it's really the best job it ever. It really is the best job. So, so people understand, for example, now you've raised a little bit of money. You also have a technology component to this. Are you technical or how did you go about building out that aspect of the company? Yeah, I'm definitely not a technical founder at all, you know, and that was, you know, there were some roller coasters there. Sometimes I would hire people. I had hired a CTO um, and then they weren't like a coder. So, you know, months had went by, they never built any tech. And so then that relationship didn't work. Um, and then I ended up hiring like a dev agency local to build my first MVP, then hired product managers, then hired some offshore teams then hired engineers. So it definitely was a lot, you know, and I had to learn a lot. I had to yeah. learn about repositories and, you know, you seeing GitHub code come in and seeing code be pushed and sprints and how long things were going to take. And so it took a lot of education, you know, especially not being a technical founder. I always still say one day I probably might still go back to school and learn how to code just because it's, you know, if I had learned, if I had language. known how to do and build my own apps and my own dashboards and portals, you know, I could have probably been a lot further along. Mm. Um, but I found help and I asked questions. And when companies were having office hours, I would participate and I would, you know, get as much as I could for as little as I could. You know, I, I took, if people were willing to meet with me at 8 a.m. for breakfast, I was there and I'm not a morning person because <laughs> I'm oftentimes till three, four o'clock in the morning, but making those sacrifices to get this technology built was really critical for me. Oh, I love that. Okay, so now you've launched the product and let's fast forward now. Tell me about like step-by-step um, step how the process works. Delta Airlines or whatever Hartsfield International is throwing away, is it steaks, is it croissants? Like you pick them up, tell us about the process. It's everything. I mean, we've picked up 12 ounce bone-in fillets. We've picked up food that's never even been, you know, packaged that went to a restaurant or went to a venue and wasn't used. 
Um, you know, I think about at the pandemic, we picked up freezers full from every corporate office you could think of, of the best food in, in the city. And so essentially how the process works is we've built an app that inventories everything it is that a business sells. Mm -hmm. um, they can access it easily from phone, web, point of sale system. They click on the items that they have. They tell us how many they have access of. And then our platform calculates the tax value of all those items collectively, as well as the estimated weight value, which we've gleaned from our inventory. And then they request a pickup. We work with a network of logistics providers, including having some of our own drivers. A driver picks that food up and then it gets delivered to a nonprofit that's usually within a five mile radius of where that business operates. And we do that purposefully to make sure that not only the food travels efficiently and mm -hmm. safe, but also that that business is really kind of creating social change right in their own backyard. Wow. And when the nonprofit receives it, they sign for it like they would a UPS package and their signature generates a donation letter with a picture of that donation into our clients dashboards. And so our clients now can see, you know, a lot of trends, like what are the items that are going to waste or being donated the most? Um, who is the food serving? How many meals have they provided? How many pounds have they kept out of landfill? They can generate sustainability reports from our system, wow. um, also community impact reports as well. And then again, just looking and seeing a lot of the data. That's incredible. I mean, and just such great quality food. Are you getting caviar? Have you ever had to deliver caviar? <laughs> I don't think we've gotten caviar yet. I don't know. I mean, we, we definitely cleared out, as I said, a lot of great stuff um, at the start of the pandemic when everything closed. So I could definitely say hundreds of nonprofits received donations from us, um, as well as thousands and thousands of families. So let's talk about the pandemic, because I know that was an incredible thing we've all gone through it and a lot of us had to pivot their businesses. What were you thinking in terms of your business? Because I feel like you would just sort of elevated to this incredible point of, okay, things are going well and then the world is shut down. Yeah, I mean, it was really tough for me. Um, I'll never forget the date that it happened in Georgia, March 8th, 2020. And I was in a position where I had raised funding in 2018, very little, a million dollars. And, you know, I had ran my business for two, two plus years at that time. And so I was really essentially kind of running out of money. Mm -hmm. And it was like I was trying to fundraise. And I remember one of our investors sent this email out which I'm hoping he sent to everybody. I always wonder if he sent it just to me, but it was very much like, you know, you may have to close your business. You may not be able to fundraise. You may have to let people go. Like these are the hard times. We saw this happen at the, in the recession um, in 2008. And so it was, it was a scary moment. But then what I thought about is just being a helper. I really went back to my roots and I was like, Jasmine, you know, you know how to help people and you are going to see a lot of people in need during this time. And so I started thinking about everybody that's going to need access mm -hmm. to food and how that's going to change during this pandemic. And the first, you know, group of people I thought about, of course, were children. And I know that so many kids, you know, depend on breakfast and lunch at school and now schools were going virtual. And so I reached out to the then superintendent of APS and said, hey, Gooder can help you guys distribute food to your students. And so that became one of our very first contracts uh, that really put us into a B2C yeah. kind of marketplace where instead of now delivering food to nonprofits, we started delivering food directly to homes of students. And at first it was just school meals and then it branched into 
these families, everyone's lost their job. You know, the mom mm-hmm. isn't working. Is there any way you guys can start delivering groceries or any other kind of meals? And I just tweeted that and I said, hey, you know, I've got some families, they're in need of groceries. If you guys purchase them or donate, Gooder will go purchase groceries for them and we'll deliver them to their house. And and it took off. And we basically kind of started a, I guess you could say a free Instacart, right? Yeah. So for every family that didn't have access, Gooder became that access point to get food delivered to them and help them shelter in place. And that spun so many additional contracts and really a whole different side of our business uh, that is surrounding on how we have hunger solutions and how we're helping cities, counties, school districts, um, businesses and entrepreneurs and entertainers really address hunger in their communities. And, and you know, it's, it's crazy that it took a pandemic for all of that to happen. But yeah. I do think that people started to see that hunger was real, uh, that food waste was real, and that these two problems should not be coexisting. You know, one of them could definitely solve the other. And that was a great year for us. You know, it really was the start of where I think our our business will scale in the future. Oh, I love that. And you know, I think one of the things that really shedding a light on how precarious food insecurity is for so many families, right? And just how close so many people were to the edge of, of hunger and homelessness. And, you know, so being able to provide access to that through the pandemic, like you guys did an incredible job. So tell me about what's next for Good Earth 3.0. Like, what is your vision for this beautiful company that you've created? You know, I think Gooder should be everywhere, and I'm really working hard on that. We um, have launched, we've got some really great customers that you'll be hearing big, big announcements about pretty soon. Uh, We have done some deals with new cities, so we are not just in Atlanta. We're working in parts of Texas, uh, parts of Pennsylvania, parts of Florida, uh, North Carolina. So we're really starting in California as well. So we're starting to scale. You know, our goal for 2020 originally was to be in 20 cities by the end of 2020. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And so now that's our goal still this year. You know, we're really trying to be in 20 markets and we're probably one or two away from that goal. We want to get to other countries and we really just want to be, I think we want to create a legacy of a company that really put everything in, into, to end hunger. We are trying to, you know, we approach hunger radically different than, than you've seen in the past. You know, we're not a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. We're not a big, you know, feeding America and, you know, hunger fighting organization, but we believe that we can solve hunger in different ways. And we're trying to open people's eyes and minds up to what hunger can look like if we solve it this way. And so it's, you know, it's a long journey ahead, but I'm really excited. And I still believe that we're just at the beginning of what you're going to see from Gooder and and all the great things that we're going to do. Oh, I love that. So Jasmine, I loved having you here and I'm going to ask you to come back for a deep dive segment where we talk about fundraising. So where you can possibly share some tips and tricks on how you were able to raise money, continue to make money and make revenue. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about your sweet baby girl, because I know you had a baby girl during the pandemic. And I think it's always incredible to share stories of motherhood and being a boss woman entrepreneur. So you're in your office right now. How old is your daughter now? She is almost nine months. Wow. Wow. So she's she's eight months going on nine months. So So you hit COVID, possibly thinking your business was going to go out of business and had a baby at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I went from being very worried about how my business was going to survive to, you know, having a business that was thriving and, you know, 
uh, getting engaged, buying a house, having a baby, just life just really came at me fast, but it's, it's been a blessing. Um, I get to bring my daughter to work with me every day. Um, even though Gooder has like a hybrid remote model. So we're not in the office every day, but we are in the office a couple of days a week. And when I'm here, I bring my daughter with me and I have a nanny that meets me in the office and I built a little playground, um, in the office and it's, you know, it's working really well. And I just enjoy being able to come downstairs and just go get a hug and a high five now and, you know, just get to see her. And so where I could have been missing that or having her like in daycare, she's here with me. And I hope that as our team grows and our office grows, you know, I'm hoping to build an in-office daycare for any of my employees that ever have children um, I want everyone to be able to bring their kid to the office. And, and so those are the things that I'm excited about because it's made me really think of what good yep. can look like for my employees as well. And I love that. And I was really intentional about asking you that because I feel like the more and more women we see in, you know, at the C-suite and executive positions as founders of company, these are some of the things that we change because they're important to us. And it's, you know, we're really changing and shifting the landscape of what entrepreneurship, what business ownership looks like. And I just, I just love that. I love that your daughter's at work with you, you know, in the same time you're running a company that is feeding, you know, all of Atlanta or, you know, so I just, I really commend you on all that. I think world is the plan. <laughs> <laughs> so I commend you on that too. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a pleasure having you here and being able to share your story of Gooder and the good that you're doing, not only in Atlanta, but across this country as you expand and grow. I'd love for you to come back and join us for another segment where we do a deep dive into some more talk on Gooder and your fundraising journey. I can't wait. Thanks so much, Tanya. Okay, Money Movers, please stay tuned for another episode and more of Jasmine Crow. We're going to talk about fundraising and how you too can fundraise for your company and build your successful dream. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. 
From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.